Hey, thanks for tuning in to Series 3, Episode 2. Thought I'd let you know that the event where I hosted the show has raised £2,042.72 to London Chinese Community Centre. Massive thanks to everyone that attended and purchased a raffle ticket. Also to my guests, John Lee and Angela Hoy, and to all the kind people who donated a prize for the raffle. This show is dedicated to you guys. I'm actually really overwhelmed. I'm Georgie. I'm Chinese Chippy Girl. I know. I know. Oh, stop. I'm really... Stop. Okay, stop, stop. I'm joking. You know what? I've actually written a script, but this is just so exciting. I'm just going to go off road for a little bit. This is my first in real life event. That's IRL for you cool people. Also, this is the eighth day of EC Heritage Month. Woo! Thanks to all the crew at B-Scene. If you're a B-Scene member, please stand up. Stand up! Come on! Yay! I don't think I've told you guys this, but a few months ago, Fivial from B-Scene came to my house. I made a rice. And, and then I said, I really want to be part of EC Heritage Month. I really want to be part of it. And she goes, oh, you should do a live show. You should do it. And I went, no, because only two people will turn up. That'd be so embarrassing. And it's actually a really full house. Okay, back to my script. So I've chosen to have this day on the eighth day of the month because number eight is our Chinese lucky number. I know, I know. And uh, thank you all so much for purchasing the ticket. 14 pounds and six pence. I'm so sorry about that, 14 pounds and six pence. And thank you to everyone who didn't question me about that. It's actually Eventbrite adding on that weird charge. All proceeds from the event will be donated back to London Chinese Community Centre. Very special place. So the London Chinese Community Centre has been supporting the Chinese community since 1979. It's amazing for anyone that's grown up with immigrant parents that we have to do all their translations, we have to do all their admin work. Some people don't have that support, so it's really good that London Chinese uh, Community Centre can do that. And also just really embracing the Chinese community as well, like putting on events like calligraphy classes, Cantonese classes. I actually spoke to Beverly, the uh, centre manager here, on episode one, series 13. So if you want to like, go and check it out uh, for more information on all the really cool stuff that London Chinese Community Centre do, that would be really good. Okay, so I'm going to start off with introducing you to my two guests. I will start off with Boss Man of Dumpling Shack. This is a really special place for me because I spent hours and hours and hours queuing up for some top quality dumplings. You know what? There's actually two places in a whole wide world that to me is worth queuing up for. One of them is Panorama Bar in Berlin. If you know why that is, yeah, I know. If you don't know where it is, you're not really missing out. It's fine. And the other place that is really worth queuing up for is Dumpling Shack as well. Honestly, I've been a big fan of you guys since, like, day one. Anyway, going back to my script, John worked in finance at the Bank of China in Hong Kong after studying politics at Royal Holloway and then completing a law conversion with BBP Law School. You know what? When you sent this to me, I read it and I was like, I don't even know what that means. 
but I just know if that was me, my parents would be so proud. Anyway, <laughs> he returned to London and started Dumping Shack Stall in 2015. Which is that the one that Broadway, near Broadway Market? I went there, a loyal customer here. John's parents moved to the UK from Hong Kong as teenagers and met whilst working in John's paternal grandfather's restaurant in Hounslow. John grew up in Surrey, where his parents ran a Chinese restaurant and takeaway, which they opened in 1984, and is still open now, and it's owned by his elder sister. How cool is that? I know! What's it called? Catrum Chinese Restaurant. Yeah. It's in Catrum. <laughs> and it's a Chinese restaurant. John now runs Dumpling Shack Group full-time with his wife, Yi. The group comprises of three companies, Fen Noodles... Dumpling Shack and the newest venture, Szechuan Fry. I've also had the pleasure of interviewing you in Series 1, Episode 6, if you want to check it out too. Okay, now introducing you to my Lang Loi, pretty girl, Angela Hoi. Oh, I forgot to say, if we say anything in Cantonese, you just need to translate it in English. I forgot to tell you that. Oh, are we talking in Cantonese? Do you want to? No, I do not want to. Ye stepping up if we're talking in Cantonese. No, if you do any like Cantonese, like words we just need to translate it introducing angela hoy is the author of debut memoir takeaway stories from childhood behind the counter yes there she is lang loy you're gonna hear me say lang loy a lot it just means pretty girl which is all of us she's an award-winning journalist writer and editor her work have been featured in bbc eater galdem guardian Post. <laughs> Lonely Planet, Independent, National Geographic. Honestly, there's so much. A National Geographic traveller, Time Out, Refinery29, and Fies, and, and many others. Born in South Wales, she currently lives in East London, where she currently the editor of Recce. Is it Recce? She's currently the editor of Recce, and she was a previous food and drink editor at Time Out London. How cool is that? You can find her loosely documented Chinese takeaways in the UK with her Instagram project at Chinese Takeaways UK which is really good. So the reason why I asked John and Angela to join me is because we've got massive things in common. We were brought up in our parents' Chinese takeaway or restaurant. So we've got a lot of stories to share. I need to sit down for this because I feel like this is going to be like therapy. <laughs> but actually, before I start, can, I, can people raise their hands if they've worked in the family takeaway restaurant Oh my God, there's so many of you. Yes. Keep your hands up if you still work there. Oh, Chris Mack there. Okay, so let's have a chat about do we have anything positive to say about our time behind the counter? Actually, shall we start off by saying what our role was, like what we did behind the counter? Shall I go first? Go on then. I did everything. So I did front of house mainly because I was really bad at cooking on the walks. I wasn't allowed to cook on the walks because I felt like girls was delegated to the front of house. So I was like serving customers, answering phone calls. And then when my brother was old enough to drive, he did deliveries. So I did deliveries with him. So I was like interchangeable with front of house, sometimes a kitchen, sometimes delivery. But yeah. Oh, nice. What about you, John? What did you do? Yeah, pretty much a jack of all trades. So it was yeah. a restaurant as well. Okay. So we'd do waitering, and then if we were short-staffed in the kitchen, then I'd be in the kitchen. Oh, did you work in the kitchen as well? <laughs> like, I, I didn't do any of the cooking. hated it. But, like, packing takeaways. Packing takeaways was, mm. was the main job in the kitchen for the kids. 
So, yeah. Oh, nice. So about me, for some of you don't know, I worked at my parents' takeaway. It was a, it was a chip shop as well. I... I did everything apart from working in the kitchen, uh, which is something that I really wish that I did. But I basically managed my parents' takeaway from the age of 10, which is like so ridiculous. I probably couldn't even cross the road without being supervised. But then I was like managing their shop because my English was good. But anyway, let's just go back to what I previously asked. Do we have anything positive to say about our time (laughs) behind the counter? Like, I, I loved working and living in the same place. Obviously, it's good and bad, but it definitely made me closer to my parents and my brothers because it was, like, a very small place and we would always see each other. So it was obviously a blessing and a curse, I would say. But I had, like, loads of happy memories. Like, I loved having family dinner, like, before we started service. Like, I really cherished those times where we can actually just sit and chat and eat together and then obviously we throughout service we never really actually be able to like talk properly so i really cherish those like rare moments where we were actually able to just sit and eat even though sometimes we never really always said much it was just nice to be in our presence together i think oh nice what about you john any happy yeah no I'd, I'd agree with that like <laughs> We're, we, were, we were quite a nuclear family. Like we, we, we don't share emotions and stuff like that, but the fact that you're forced to do everything together, you eat together, you live together, and then you, you work together as well, it just naturally forces you to be really, really close. And that's probably the one thing that I miss, miss the most, because like they're, they're based in Surrey, and we live in London, and we run a business, and I find it really difficult to to go visit them and spend time with them even though they're not that far away yeah that's that's probably what i I miss the most being able to especially as you see your parents get older and older you think like they're a pain in the ass at the beginning (laughs) but like now you see them getting a bit more frail like today they were calling me up and had to help them out with a whole load of problems you think they're invincible when you're a kid like doing everything like running the business taking you to school, blah, 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 all, all, of, all of that type of stuff. That's probably the, the, the biggest thing I, I miss. But I picked up some, quite a lot of skills from, from working in the restaurant as well. I feel like I'm, most of the times I'm pretty socially awkward. But the only time I feel really comfortable is either in my family kitchen or in my own business's Aww. kitchen. Like, like talking to customers, serving customers. In any other setting, I'd feel, I feel a little, little bit awkward talking to strangers. But then when you, you, you realise you're at your most natural your most comfortable when you're doing something that's that's your passion and that, I probably picked that up from from my dad because the one main memory is like my mum working in the kitchen it was my dad doing front of house and I thought the way he interacted with customers but there was a particular skill to it he's not hugely hugely educated but he runs a business well and I feel like I picked a little bit of picked up that that skill from him when you were working at the at the takeaway and also the restaurant as well like how often were you both there so we, it was weekends, so Fridays and Saturdays. They, they used to be open seven days a week, so it used to be Friday, Saturday and Sunday. But then, obviously, that, that got a little bit too much. But then holidays, like summer holidays, Christmas holidays, they'd obviously drag you in for a, a little bit longer. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, during the holidays, probably three or four, four, times, a, four times a week. What about you, Angela? We were open seven days a week, and then because we lived above it, so uh, we it got less, like gradually less and less as I got older. So I'm trying to think now. So like we, yeah, we opened seven days a week, and then even though we saved up enough, and my parents had another house, 
they still lived above the shop because it was just convenient. It's like, oh, it's just easy. And then as my brothers got older, they went to uni and then and then slowly like more of the responsibilities fell on me. And then because my brothers went away, they moved further. My brothers got a job in like London and Manchester. There was just me in Wales. So I took on the brunt of most of it. Like, I did most of it throughout uni. And then as I moved out and went to uni, it like dropped down to like like weekends and then whenever I came back and then when I moved to London, I would come back whenever I helped out. And then, yeah, it just kind of got like gradually less and less and we would relinquish more of the responsibilities to like the counter staff that were there and the deliveries and stuff. I do have a little bit of positive memories. Like I just remember that the time that I had with my family, we were sick van having dinner together. But it would never be a half an hour sit down, all of us together. It was basically some of us would sit down and then the other person would be at the front. So it would never be all of us. But to me that's quite a happy memory and I don't know if this has happened to you guys as well, but there was this table in our uh, takeaway and the table was just a table of everything. It had some of my dad's paint on it. It had some of my dad's Chinese newspapers on it or my mum's magazines. It had some um, don't know, coins from Hong Kong that we don't even need. It had everything, but we, we ate on this table. And we also did a homework on this table as well. So all my homework, my GCSEs, all my coursework was done on this table. I never, I never even had a table at home or anything. No, but we had a, a, a door. Or a mahjong table. That was our do- that was our table. We never really had space for any of it. But yeah, we didn't have a we didn't have a table really. Yeah. What about you, John? Did you have a, used to do your homework in, in a restaurant or anything? I see. Like, I, I guess that's where I'm slightly different from you. We lived above the restaurant as well. But like when I wasn't working in the restaurant, I still chose to go down into the restaurant to do my homework because I don't know. Maybe I felt like. I could be closer to my parents and spend more time with them because they're working so much. So yeah, I I can still picture which table which table I'd be doing my homework on and like getting customers to help me and like (laughs) go through my work and making sure I haven't messed up anywhere. But yeah. Um, And here's a question: Did you ever used to go to um, like on a Sunday? Used to go to the Chinese supermarket, like the Chinese wholesalers. With your parents, or was that just me? Did you used to do yeah, that as well? Yeah, we, they were quite good fun. You'd have like the big trolley, and then they would have like stacks and stacks of sausages and the pads of paper and everything. And I'll just sit there; they'll just wheel me about. Yeah, so we there's uh, it's called Global in Cardiff. It's cash and carry, and it's in Grangetown, which is a very diverse part of the city. So it's like it's Somalis and Indians and Pakistani people who all run like corner shops and sweet shops and they would go there to stock up so it's like all walks of life so you go there and it's you come from a very small village where there's not that many people that look like you and then you go to the city and then you got all these different people and there's like people buying like massive stacks of Haribo for their corner shops sweet shops and there's like other Chinese families from different places in the valleys like carrying massive bags of onions massive chip boxes every week so we would go to town every Sunday before Chinese school and we'll have dim sum first in our one place in Cardiff called Happy Gathering which is great and we would go there because my parents would basically blackmail me because like if you you get dim sum and then you can go to Chinese school basically so (laughs) and and then we would also go to cash and carry so we'd also like help out and just carry bags of beans, sprouts, boxes yeah. of chips. And then there's all like the Asian snack aisle as well there. So, and this is like stuff that we never really see in Cardiff is a very 
There's not really a Chinatown or anything. It was more like a China street. It was like probably like one or two shops. It was just really rare to get anything. And like once a month, my parents would drive like a couple of hours, about two hours to like Birmingham to go to Wingyip. Just to oh, actually, really? yeah, just to stock up because there was nothing from where we lived. It was barely anything. So my mum would, yeah, we would basically go to Wingyip and just like grab everything that we can because it was just nothing in Cardiff. And uh, yeah, like the Wingyip in Birmingham is mm. amazing. It's so good. There's one in Manchester as well. Yeah. What about you? Did you used to do your go to the wholesalers? I think like the novelty of enjoying going to wholesalers probably wore off at the age of 12 so like so like five six did you not used to sit on a trolley and get wheeled around yeah but like at the age of 12 you're not going to sit on a flat bed trolley i love it people are going to say why is that teenager sitting on a flat bed trolley oh i didn't care i used to sit on it and be like right come come on mom just go and push me around no i I, I loved it obviously i loved it as a kid (laughs) well like when you want to cling on to like be close to your mum and dad and go around with them but then yeah like i said the novelty the novelty wore off after a okay. little time we're quite different here <laughs> <laughs> and john i remember you wrote a post and i think it was on instagram you wrote a post something about when you worked at the shop at the weekend and you, you used to see your friends drive off at the weekend to go to a party then you would be out of restaurant working mm. do you remember that post it was you who yeah, wrote yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah but that was a post which i was I really resonated with because I felt like my teenage years was just so focused in the Chinese takeaway. Like I wasn't, I, I, I honestly couldn't go out. I could not go out. And all my friends at 15, 14, they were snogging loads of boys. And I was like, oh my God, I just want to snog some boys as well. Just want to go out, want to go to the pub. I want to do it all. Instead, I was at my parents' takeaway. So when you wrote that post... I was like, that was so me. I mean, that, that's, that's probably quite a common thing. I mean, Angela mentions it in, in, in her book. And that, you, you talk about, like, long-lasting effects of working in a takeaway. I think that's one of them. Like, I, at the start, I mentioned that I feel a little bit awkward sometimes in, in social settings. I think that's to do with, like, not being able to spend time with your friends as much as other people would. And instead, you're you're stuck in a kitchen working with working with the same people and, and doing the same thing week in week out rather than doing what most most teenagers are doing yeah. yeah i felt like i was a late bloomer because of it because like i felt like i had to work so i had to grow up really quickly so working behind the counter and working in the shop i had to translate everything i still do now my parents can't read english they still send me very blurry photos of letters like what does this mean or like (laughs) what does this say or like can you read this email like this this so bad so i I still have to do that so growing up like i felt like i had to be the parent to my own parents and that made me really sad in a way i missed out a lot of my childhood to be able to go out and just hang out and meet meet mates and snogging and everything I know and in a way I'm like glad that it kind of kept me off the streets a little bit that I could just work behind the counter do my homework so I felt like my mum also could keep an eye on me rather than go out and cause chaos but yeah I felt like the same with Jonathan really I think just I feel really awkward sometimes in social settings like even though I speak to customers all day because I'm front of house but yeah it just made me feel really I don't know who I was really and was quite insular in a way from it yeah. I think I think it took me a while to like feel comfortable with who I am. Like going into going into university, I didn't enjoy university. A lot of people have great memories of of going to university, but I I wasn't one of them. I went to Royal Holloway and then I had to on the weekends come back and work in the restaurant. 
Oh, did you? Every weekend? Pretty, pretty much. Pretty much. Wow. Like, probably use the excuse of, oh, I've got to study mm. to try and get out of work. <laughs> but majority of the weekends, except leading up to actual exams, probably that's probably the mm. only time I didn't, I didn't have to work. But then, like, going to... Probably going into law school and, and like, moving into London, that's probably when I felt like oh, I can actually grow up and be my own person. Yeah. So that leads me on to my next question to you, John. You said that you left corporate mm. to go and open up Dumpling Shack. I want to know, what did your parents say? My mum was hugely disappointed. I remember the time that I told them that I was moving to Hong Kong to, to work. And I could tell that, I can pinpoint, like, that's probably the proudest that they were of me. Because they probably thought, great he's got a decent job and we don't have to worry about him anymore and then I came back and explained to them I don't particularly like working in a corporate environment so probably for a couple of years I was a little bit lost with what I was doing and then like decided to give give street food a go and we I started like buying up quite a lot of equipment like gazebos and gas canisters and stuff like that and started storing it in my parents home and in parents garage and like, I remember reading the text from my sister and she was explaining that mum's like really worried. She thinks like you don't know what you're doing. And, and like, she, like it's probably justified. I, I probably didn't really know what I was doing. But it, it felt right doing it, even though it, like, it put my parents really on edge. And I can understand why they were on edge because like, you go from, on the face of it, a, a, a decent looking job to slinging out dumplings on the street it's not a particularly good look I, I think my parents are quite like a lot of other parents of their generation especially from a Chinese mm. background where they like to tell their friends oh my son's got this great job yeah, blah 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 yeah. he's, he's brought a house blah 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 and all that type of rubbish just to just to show off and like they obviously can't tell their friends yeah my son's selling dumplings on a Saturday and that's how he makes his living that's probably one of my one of my mum's like fears at, at the time but like full circle I know I know she's super proud of me now like embarrassingly proud Aww. she comes to the market and we were sitting down having having lunch and there was a couple sitting next to us saying oh well, that food looks good and my mum like just blurts out yeah he's famous <laughs> right? on, on, on the no level am I famous obviously obviously on no level am I famous but like it was a clear indicator. Like my mum thinks thinks like I've I've done I've done well now, which was which is really nice. It was really nice. But did it take a while for your parents to to accept the decision that you made, or anything? Like obviously they're proud they, of you they, now. Was it was it was there a journey basically for them to conceptualise success? They need to see it visually. Back when we first started the business, I'd figure out what what days are we busiest at Spillfields Market when we have a queue. We're like at our peak busiest. I tell my parents come that time and then they then they like it, it's such a simplistic way of thinking about things but it takes pressure off me because then they then I feel like they're not worrying about me about me so much but so when they consistently saw it busy that's when that's when they like felt a little bit comfortable and, like and probably had a had a sense of pride so it, obviously it, it took a bit of a bit of time to get to that stage and what was the turning point when you worked you had a good job, you worked in corporate, and then you wanted to make that, that transition, that change. Like, what was the thought when you were like, right, I need to well, do this? I mean, it was definitely when Yi, who was my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now. Yay, go Yi! It's, <laughs> it's definitely when she, when she joined me full-time. Right, okay. Because it meant 
Christ, I've got to pay her a salary, so we've got to, <laughs> we've got to make a proper living. And yeah, that, that was the impetus to, say, to go from Broadway Market to like a full seven-day-a-week location in, in, in a fixed location. That's when I thought, yeah, that's, that's, that's when we have to like, make that big change. I think the one thing I love about Dumpling Shack is I think it's really inspiring how you've left that corporate world and that you've opened up Dumpling Shack and you've now opened up Fen Noodles as well. Then you're going to be opening up Szechuan Fry. But I think on the weekends, you normally have like some amazing food that I've just not even like thought of. But it's like you've taken some of the Hong Kong food and you've twisted it and you've made it like a, like a British twist to it. I remember we went to Dumpling Shack on Jubilee Bank Holiday and you made those ball or bows with the Jubilee ones. They tasted so good. They're just like the whole the concept that you have. And I just wanted to ask you, how would you think of these things? Can you share? <laughs> can, we, can we know your secret? Most of the time, like we're like panicking on a Thursday thinking we've got, to, we've got to do something different we've got to do something different because we're like cooking the same food over and over again Monday to Friday we've got to give like people another option and then you and I say yeah let's shove something in a ball about that, 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 that'll do but yeah like, that, that's, the, that's the main reason why we do something different on a weekend because it breaks up the monotony for us like I, I love I love what we do and I could do it I could legit- legitimately do it seven days a week and I-, I wouldn't get bored of it. But just to change the pace up a little bit mm-hmm. and just to allow us to do something different, serve customers something different. Like we're, we're, We work in a really small kitchen in Spitalfields. Our, our Hackney site is going to be a slightly bigger kitchen which will allow us to do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But at Spitalfields, we can't do things... Like We can't have such a large menu on a regular basis. We can only do it on a weekend when it's a little bit more relaxed and... Like, you don't have the office crowd screaming at you saying, like, your food's got to be ready in, in two minutes. People are a little bit nicer on the weekends, so... Office wankers. No, 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 no. Don't put words in my mouth. Not office wankers. <laughs> Everyone's got an hour for lunch, so... And you're opening up Szechuan Fry as well? Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? This was born out of just being really bored during the pandemic, during the start of the pandemic. We were still allowed to open, but the gates of the market were closed so we could only do delivery. So you'd have a really busy delivery lunch rush and then it would like just completely die down. And I've got like, I had staff working with me and we were like just thinking, let's do something different. Mm -hmm. Let's just experiment. And we all love fried chicken. We really like Nashville hot fried chicken. And we just wanted to put a different little slant on that by using Szechuan flavors. So then we did a test kitchen for that at Spitalfields. And like the reception went really, really well. And we thought, okay, there's, there's, there's legs to this. We could create a brand out of this. We want to be one of the first people in London to be doing this type of fried chicken. People in America have been doing it for a while, and we, but we wanted to like, be kind of one of the first people to, to do it here. We created a brand out of it, and we felt confident enough to take a site in Hackney. And the ideal site came up where we could put two kitchens in there, uh, one for Session Fry and one for Dumpling Shack. And it, it, felt, it felt right to take that site in Hackney because it's a few yards from where we, where we first started. So, yeah. It's amazing. And when's it opening? 20th, 20th of October. 20th of October. Think, we think. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of delays at the moment. There's supply chain issues with, with the equipment that we're, we're trying to get hold of. And I think I'm like pushing back the opening time because it's just stressing me out at the moment. And 
I push things back more and more and it makes me feel a little bit relaxed. But yeah, hopefully the 24th. Oh, well, good luck with that. I've got one more question. Yep. Are you going to open up a Chinese bakery in East London, please? <laughs> On behalf of everyone here, I'm just asking this question. Our cash flow is a little bit... Like we're, we're opening, because we're opening a new site, obviously cash flow is not as strong as before opening a new location. Maybe, maybe in the future. I, I mean, I love, I love coming up with new ideas and new concepts mm-hmm. and new brands, and I want to grow the group into something which like the Chinese community can be proud of. So, yeah, I'd love to do, I'd love to do a bakery. So is that a yes? The, well, I didn't say that. Okay, said Go open it for ye. For your wife. I've given her half the business already. What more does she want? Yeah, but she's given, she's, she's given you a daughter. Sorry. I, 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 I'm just going to stop this I now. I played a part in that as well. She, she didn't just pop Sorry. it out of her. Yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe. Thank you very much, John. Okay, now on to Angela, my Lang Loi. So the first time I met Angela was really random. It was in Leytonstone. I went to buy some second-hand clothes for Moi Moi, for my daughter. We went for a walk in Leytonstone, and then I seen Angela, because at the time you had your pink streak in your hair. And I went, oh my God, Yuin, that's her, that's her. Oh my God, it's Angela. Oh my God, she does all these articles on Chinese takeaways, Chinese food. And then you just like, right, whatever. But then I had to walk back and introduce myself to you because I think we had connected on Instagram. And I just wanted to meet you. And then you invited me out for dim sum. And then we've just became Lang Loy friends for, like, ever since then. I still smile when your dad called us all uh, Hong Kong suit out, Miss Hong Kong. <laughs> at, at, your bunk, at your book launch. So... The reason why I knew of you is because when I started my Chinese Chippy account, I came across you because you wrote so many amazing articles on Chinese takeaways, Chinese food. And for once, I read an article on Chinese restaurants that didn't use the word sloppy, gloopy, whatever it is. And, you know, it was really nice because it made me feel really wholesome. It made me feel proud of my takeaway background so just want to say thanks to that i want to talk about how important it is for you to write fairly on chinese takeaways of course it's really important but do you feel because you've come from a takeaway background it's even more important and there's that maybe a bit of pressure from you to make sure you get it right no i don't think there's that much pressure i think it's just common decency to write about food and other cultures without putting it down like saying something like smelly or saying something like weird or gross it's what's the thing that i always say it's like don't yuck someone's yum Mm -hmm. essentially it's just basic it's just kind of just being nice essentially and it's quite sad that food media mainstream media can't even do that mainly it is like a very white gaze how it's very much oh i've just discovered this like say one of the writers in guardian i think it was a piece about jackfruit and they just discovered it and they're just like oh this is amazing whereas it's like jackfruit has been around for thousands of years that people don't even know about so i always just tried to be very respectful in everything that i write in terms of food essentially just i think that's like the the least you can kind of do and I think people forget that it's just like have to do some research and for me writing about Chinese food is it's always been vilified it's always been 
whenever people talk about Chinese food, it's always got to be quick, it's got to be cheap, it's got to be, you know, it's uh, people look down on it, and it really frustrates me how a lot of people put European food on like a higher pedestal, like French food or Nordic food or something like that. They just put it as a higher class, where it's like, it's if anything, a Chinese food has so much like techniques and so much years of history, and the culinary landscape is so vast. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't really realize that. I think they are starting to realize it now. It's changing, whereas before it was very much looked down upon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everything that I try to do is just try not to just be a dick. Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> That's it. it's funny when you talk about the Chinese food like techniques and craftsmanship because I never really understood it until like a couple of years ago when I started cooking Chinese food myself and even small things like cutting up chicken like batik I can't cut that chicken I can't do it it looks awful it's the worst. <laughs> it, it tastes good but there's a lot of craftsmanship when it comes to Chinese food which I don't think a lot of people know about mm. people don't they don't really see like Chinese chefs as as like, like as an artist or anything and I think they should be given like more respect and stuff Let's talk about your book as well, Angela. So your book, Takeaway... You don't have to show it again. Everyone's already seen it. Sis one guys. Available from all the bookshops, Amazon, like Waterstones, you name it, it's there. So you've written a book, and I'm partway through reading it. I feel really embarrassed because I did say to you I would finish reading it before this. I'm such a slow <laughs> no, reader. No, I mean, it's, it's a lot of takeaway kids and a lot of people who resonate with it. They said they haven't read it because it's, it's a very emotional book. It's a very personal book and it's very triggering for a lot of people. So it's like absolutely okay if you don't want to read it because I, I can't even bear to read it. No, no, I do want to read it. I'm just really but slow. No, 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 like absolutely. <laughs> and how did the idea of you writing a memoir come about so I think when my parents sold the shop in 2018 I started to kind of reflect a lot on it because even in the lead-up to us potentially selling the shop just a lot of memories and we're thinking about like good times and all the bad times and it actually started off as my mum just being very forceful and almost threatening she was just like saying that if I die, all these recipes are going to die with me. So she was like, every time I go home and cook with her, she was very adamant. She's like, oh, you need to like document these or document the way that we cook. And so that's what I did. I started to kind of document and learn a lot more because growing up, I just really hated food. I didn't really want anything to do with food because I really rejected it working in the takeaway. I just started to do more research into Chinese takeaways. I wrote a piece about... I remember a couple of years ago now for Vice, just how like Chinese takeaways are disappearing mm-hmm. and then talking about the trends of now with like social media and with digitization and with delivery apps like Deliveroo and Just Eat, which are contributing to the decline of Chinese takeaways. In that piece, I wrote about my family's takeaway and then that caught the eye of a publisher. Um, my publisher, Rue, who is really lovely, if she's listening. She's mixed race, she's half Chinese, and it's just really nice to be able to have a team on the publishing side who are all East Asian, and they all just get it, and I don't really have to explain myself. So that's how I came about. And we kind of crafted it from there and just kind of tell the story on it, really, essentially. And, yeah, I don't know. I think that's how it came about. Like, it still hasn't really sunk in. I still can't really believe that people can read my life it's just mad (laughs) yeah 
And similar question to what I asked John, what did your parents think? They haven't read it. (laughs) They haven't read it. And the first response was, why? (laughs) They're like, why did you write a book on it? It's like, it's a very Asian parent thing to be like, they don't see the point of it. They don't see the purpose of it because that's just their life. It's just like, oh, why are you writing a story on us working in the shop? Like, it's not that interesting. And I think it didn't dawn on them until the importance of actually having a book until they actually got the book. And they're like, oh, yeah, you've actually written a book. Like, seeing the book and holding it, they've actually realised. And I don't think they've said they're proud of me yet, but they'll show up in their own different ways. At the book launch, they, they cooked everything. So they That just... was amazing. The people <laughs> so like that was... were there at the book launch, the food was so good. <laughs> but no, it was really sweet that they just offered to cook for everything. They spent days prepping because even though they're retired now, they, they still help out our family, friends, takeaways on the weekends and in the evenings. So I don't think they'll ever be retired. So they basically just went to all cousins' takeaways and took all their takeaway food and cooked for my lord so they just used all their kitchens to make all the they spent days prepping making prawn crackers and chicken balls and we had a whole Chinese takeaway menu for our launch and uh, yeah they just turned up at my house with loads of boxes of food and then cooked and then served everyone it was just really sweet even though they'll never say they're proud of me they'll show up in their own ways they're just showing up essentially yeah it is really nice is there a Chinese word a Cantonese word for proud I don't know what it is is there Huh? Huh? Gulo. 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 See, I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> can't even pronounce it. Even if my mum had said it to me, I'd probably be like, what? Huh? Huh? What? <laughs> so one more time. Gulo. Gulo. Oh, I, I, I can't do these No, so bad. Oh. But do, do, do people use it, though? Do people no. use that word? No. No one says it proud. <laughs> when I was reading your book at the start no spoilers by the way just a little teaser there was a section in it which it did really resonate with me there's the one where you you were working at the takeaway and you picked up the phone and you took a customer's order you put the phone down the the phone rung again and then some dickhead absolute dickhead said to you (laughs) said all the c words to you and it really frustrated me. I think it was just really... Like, I can understand if any, if any one of us from a takeaway background is reading the book and then you just need to maybe put it down for a bit and just to take a few deep breaths because it did bring back quite a few memories for me when I used to pick up the phone and customers used to say all the C words or they'd place an order through and then they just wouldn't come and pick it up. So my dad would just make all that food for nothing. And at that time, there was no... Oh, can I take your credit card number? They're basically, there wasn't even delivery, wasn't any like delivery service. You were just, you just need, basically need to cook their food and just like wait for them to come. Sometimes they wouldn't come. And I just wanted to ask you, were there any times when you were writing this book, you were like, oh, hold on a second, I need to take a break? Oh, yeah. I cried the entire time right here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was really emotional and um, I, I probably haven't stopped crying for the past like two years since writing um yeah it was really emotional and quite traumatic and just kind of reliving all those memories again and a lot of things that in the book that I don't really actually talk about and I never really addressed as well and as a kid you just kind of take it on board as you can't really show that you're really upset as well especially when you're working in the takeaway and then there's horrible customers that would come in or 
prank callers or mm. people who were like trying to vandalize the shop you just had to like put on a brave face and you just kind of had to brush it off and i think it really didn't help having chinese parents who were very much like stick your head down just work hard and don't kick up a fuss and then just carry on as it is and i think it's that mentality of just trying to get out of that when a lot of our chinese families kind of take on the burden for everything and they don't really like to reach out because they see it as a sign of weakness mm-hmm. and plus they had really distrust with like the police or other people as well yeah. because it was just a lot of a lot of extra effort just going through the police or going through just asking for help or where they did actually eventually reach out and they just see it as a sign of almost like re-traumatizing yourself going through that in order to explain to someone whereas they wouldn't even really understand so yeah there were moments when i had to stop i had to just cry i had to take a walk mm. I had to, and then after writing it, i went back to therapy for a bit and then yes yeah, it was very emotional yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Some of the parts in your book that really made me chuckle was when you roped your friends, Lauren and Co. Lauren's in the crowd at the moment. <laughs> when you roped your friends to um, come to the shop and help your mum roll some spring rolls. <laughs> she probably doesn't remember. But, uh, I remember this. But we would come home after school in still in a uniform and then we'd just hang out in the Chinese takeaway, so in the counter. And because I wasn't really allowed out, so I wasn't allowed to go out, just walk around the streets or just cause chaos or just throw stones at people's houses because there's not, nothing to do in Wales. Or get drunk. She did, she did. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> no, just going out, like walking around, like just underage drinking because there's really... No, but there's nothing. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> what, we, we all had a drink. Underage drinking. No, sorry. We were really good. We didn't do any of that. No, but in Wales... It's you kind of have to make your own fun. You have to kind of make do with what you have because there's nothing to do really, and it's just boring all the time. And you know it is, but like that's like I think as yeah. And then like after school, like I would basically my mum would actually let me have friends over because she could keep an eye on me. And then basically me and my friend Lauren and a few other girls in our school. We, my mum would just make us peel spring roll wrappers or do other chores and while well, we did like handstands on the board and play games and stuff and then eat prawn crackers without my mum's knowing and stuff. I had to kind of carve a social life wherever I could in a way and I was always kind of jealous going at like being able to I had to like kick everyone out before five o'clock because this like the shop was opening mm. so I was really sad to not just carry on going out and stuff and just hanging out like a normal kid. I think I think for me, I think one thing that were different I wish that I'd done was that I invited my friends to my parents' takeaway. But I think I was just so embarrassed. I was just like, oh my God, there's no way I'm bringing my friends around to a parent's shop when we're all going to speak Cantonese. Mum and Dad's going to argue. It's just, they're going to see like, I don't know, sweet sour chicken or spare rib and they're going to go, oh, what's that? Like, I just couldn't. Yeah. have that but I kind of wish that when I was reading your book I kind of wish that, that I did but Angela's book is available on every website or whatever do you want to give it a plug no I'm not doing a very good job of it <laughs> I'm sick of talking about my own book okay. oh Angela you're so cute it's future Georgia here okay let me give this a better plug Angela's book takeaway is available from all large and small bookshops including Amazon so I think what we'll do, I've got one question to ask all of us. And then if we have time, we'll probably do some Q&As as well. So a question 
to all of you, John, we'll start off with you. Is if you could turn back time to the takeaway days, what would you change? Probably to not be so disrespectful. The reason why they worked like six, seven days a week was to. It was all about education, like to send to send the three of us to private school, and they managed to do it with two of us. And I, I was lucky, luckily enough, to be one of them. The thing with private school, especially when you're young, is that you're surrounded by people who are a lot more affluent than you, and parents who have a lot have jobs that are socially deems more more respectable so like lawyers doctors and and whatever i remember telling my parents i'll never do your your type of job i'm gonna like my my ambition was to become a lawyer and i I failed but it's it's just that way of talking down to your parents which like like, them being parents they get it they're like Okay, that, that's that's what we created. We sent him to private school, and that's his attitude. If, if he becomes successful, then great. It, yeah, but he's he's a little bit of a shit at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, like it's like hindsight's a great thing. I'm hoping my daughter doesn't look at us saying, "Oh, like these guys are working in a street food store or whatever it is." I hope she understands that, like we work our bollocks off to to like provide her with whatever opportunity that she wants like whatever she wants to achieve it's not if she fails it's not going to be a lack of due to a lack of opportunity and that's the same with my parents if i failed at doing a corporate job it wasn't because they didn't give me the right conditions to succeed it was down to me not liking the job or just not being good enough for it i'm hugely grateful for that i'll never be able to express that to them i'll probably write it in a in an instagram post which they'll never ever see but i'll never <laughs> I'll never ever say it to their Facebook. It, I, I'm just, I'm not good at that. I, I would love to, but I can't sit there and at the dinner table and have a conversation with my mum because my Chinese isn't good enough for a start. And it, stuff like that just doesn't come out naturally. Maybe to my dad, who speaks extremely good English. He's super fluent at English. But yeah, that stuff I can't take back now. Maybe when my Chinese gets a little bit better, I can sit down with my mum and say... Because she didn't like working in a Chinese takeaway restaurant. It's not something that she wanted to do. She wanted to marry someone rich, and (laughs) she definitely didn't do that. But she married a good guy. My dad's the absolute best. I want to be able to say thank you for the sacrifice. But, yeah, maybe in time. Thank you, John. What about you, Angela? Yeah, pretty much the same. To be less of a shit, essentially. I think just growing up, I feel like I was just so painfully embarrassed all the time, and I never really gave my parents the credit where credit was due. And it was a very similar situation to John where my parents, everything that they did was for us to go to higher education, to go to university, to go to school, get good jobs. And my parents would blackmail us, essentially. It was like, oh, if you, if you don't do well in school, you'll end up working in the takeaway. And it was, more, it was more of like a blackmail incentive for us to do well in school. But it was, I was kind of grateful that I had that option to begin with anyway. I was very privileged to be able to have something to fall back on in case anything didn't work out. And yeah, like I just didn't really give them enough credit. And I felt like I just constantly throughout my like teenage years I was just constantly butting ahead so my mum and my parents are just constantly arguing I feel like I just wish I wasn't such a brat and I wish I appreciated them more and I do miss the takeaway every now and then too. like I was looking back on it and I was thinking about it while I was writing the book like I would love to do like one more service just for the sake of it but yeah like we we've sold the shop now but we sold it to another Chinese family 
and like I have a lot of yeah I look back on it like with fond memories but also like bad memories too but yeah I think that's the thing I would probably change I think it's quite relatable though because for a start we're quite young we just wanted to fit in with all the other teenagers at school we didn't want to work there we just want to go out and for me like snog some boys and stuff or whatever and at the time it just felt so unfair it's like oh my god I don't want to work in a shop I don't want to be called a c-word I don't want to fry any more chips. So I think with that experience, you kind of have this grudge against your parents. But when you're like 14, I felt like that attitude did come on. And it's only when I'm thinking back and I was like, oh God, I was such a dick. I was such a bitch to my parents. And I remember there's been so many times when, so where our parents' takeaway was, was in a really, really, really rough estate called the Upton Private. It was awful. We had like, cars getting vandalised and everything houses getting broken in I remember there was a pub next door and it used to close about half ten and all these drunk people used to come in and then I would have to stay up and work and serve them all and then there would just be a nightmare there would just be absolute idiots and then there would be swearing a lot telling my mum to hurry up telling my dad to cook faster and then they would be saying all the C words and then they would just try and do runner with the food but there's been so many times that when, when I look back, I was honestly so embarrassed. I did not want to be there. I just hid. And I just left my mum and dad to it. And it's just like, thinking back now, it, it's just such a, a terrible, disrespectful thing to do. So I totally agree with what both of you said. I think for me also, the one thing which I really wish I could do more of is that I wish I worked in the kitchen so I could actually make, so I can cook like batik gay. Like, what's batik gay in, in English? White cut chicken. White cut chicken making nice tasty because i just think my chinese cook is just okay la. but so i kind of wish i kind of wish i worked worked with my dad rather than at the front but i was needed at the front because my english was good and i was just needed yeah i needed there but anyway thank you so much that's all the questions i had for you we've got a few minutes to do some q a's does anyone have any questions at all yeah oh two y'all don't got yeah Great. My name is Chris Mag, aka Crazy Brit Asian. Um, yeah, so my question is Is there a dish on or off the menu which you wish you could cook? I think for me, it's not the actual recipe, it's the technique. Like cutting, honestly, you see me in the kitchen at home and I've got like a, a really shit cleaver and I'm just like this. Ugh. I can't really explain it onto a podcast, but I'm just like, because I'm just so scared of this cleaver. I wish I knew the technique. I was more confident at that. Uh, probably my dad's lobster noodles. Oh, love yeah. that, love that. That's probably like the one thing I ask for when I go back. <laughs> fried rice, I, I don't use a wok very well. And my dad's fried rice is, is excellent. Like the, the difference between my, my dad's cooking and my mum's cooking, dad's cooking is excellent, but super slow. Mum's cooking is, eh, but like super fast. So I'd much rather learn from my dad's techniques. And he's a good cook. So yeah, those dishes. I don't know. I'm still thinking. Probably like a roast duck. Like my dad is really good at making roast duck and crispy roast pork. And yeah, he's really good at it. My mum's really good at making dim sum and dumplings. Pretty much everything. She's a ridiculously good cook. But I don't know if it's the same with you, with Chinese parents. They were very, very secretive with their recipes and showing you. Like, that was the hardest part about writing this book, was doing all the recipes. Because my mum was very specific about a certain way. And she'll teach you how to do it. And then she's like, no, you're doing it wrong. And then she'll like, no, this is how you do it. And then you use my hands to like 
teach me and then she'll just take over so it was incredibly hard to learn how to cook and do everything so it was like I want to learn but it was such a nightmare honestly <laughs> did, you, yeah. did you have to tell your dad like what you're going to be putting in the book I, yeah they had to so like, he, he, had to know, he knows everything that you've written he had to sign off a legal so he had to be okay with it uh, did, um, you, did you read it? They did haven't read it. it? I, they know the gist of it. So no, no, no I meant uh, the legal document. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be like, this is what this says. But no, I think they they know the gist of it anyway. And I think they're happy with it. Like I haven't fabricated anything. A lot of people said, they're like, oh, it's, this sounds wild. Like, is this actually alive? I'm like, yes, this is, like, this is actually what happened. So yeah, so they had to be okay with it because they signed off on legal. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi, my name is Sally, aka What Sally Read Next. I have a question for Angela. I absolutely loved your book, completely resonated with so much of it, and it made me realise that those experiences were not just with my family, they're with other people as well. My question is, you mentioned that your parents haven't read the book. Would you like them to read it? Because you talk a lot about things that, personally, I wouldn't tell my parents, but I would love for them to know yeah, the thing is, like, I ummed and odd for so long whether to include certain details. My dad's gambling, domestic abuse and arguing. There's a lot of shit that went down in the takeaway. And, like, I, I would, yeah, I have actually asked about, like, translation rights. Like, I would love for them to read it so they could see my perspective growing up and what I felt growing up in the takeaway and having to be obligated to work in the shop but also wanting to also find my own way yes I think yes and no because I'm also terrified of what they're gonna read I don't know I feel like but I know a lot of my aunties are very disapproving they're very uh, gossiping aunties they're very much like yeah like you know they're very yeah I love the disapproving aunties who are just very much I think it's just an Asian mindset where they're very much like why do you talk about these things we're so private let's not talk about these topics because it's incredibly personal and exposing and I think in a a mindset they think it makes them look bad and it's like protecting their family and stuff but I think at the end of the day as long as I've written it as truthful to myself then that's all that can really matter which is what my mum said actually I was like really anxious about it for ages and I lost so much sleep because of the aunties because I was just worried about what they're going to think worried about what they're going to say but my mum is just like it just just focus on you or like it doesn't really matter your, your mum's obviously more more open than your dad yes <laughs> but yeah my mum is definitely way more open uh, accepting of it I feel like my dad is very much I don't know it's quite uh, we have such a complex relationship but it's really hard to kind of capture that especially through everything through shouting and stuff and arguing and falling out i feel that in in a way it has kind of brought us closer like we we never really talked about these topics before and having this opportunity to write the book it was actually i got the chance to actually sit down and talk to them and interview them i didn't even know about my mum's like my mum and dad's past before like we never really had a chance to sit down my dad i only found out that he was like selling tears I mean which is like cart noodles in Hong Kong when he was 13 and my mum grew up in the cultural revolution and I had no idea about it it's like it's only until the opportunity presented itself and we became closer we were able to just actually just talk for once rather than having to talk through extractor fans or talking about bills or talking about oh we've run out of egg fried rice kind of thing so we actually had time to sit down and talk 
Thank you for your question. Do we have any more? I think there's a couple more as well. Thanks. Hi, uh, my name is Vivienne and my mom's side of the family are on the restaurant business. So given the stereotypical assumption for Asians excelling at school and all that, how did your parents convey that expectation to do well while also demanding a lot of your time to work? John, and, and John you want to go? Law students, John? <laughs> <laughs> I think the fact that they sent me to private school and would tell me how much it costs every week <laughs> is like a big indicator that like there's pressure to to do well and it, I, I don't know i think it's like one of those just invisible things for chinese families as well it's it's just there like i don't think it's many chinese parents dreams for you to follow in their footsteps they they lived a tough life they came over to a strange country to create a better future for themselves and for their families you've got to be doing something a, a, a little bit more high achieving than than working in a working in a restaurant yeah. I feel like yeah there was definitely a lot of pressure because we were their investments essentially because they they put so much into us and for them to come over from a different country and not really learning English and then they put all their eggs in our one basket which is us <laughs> I was smart but I lacked like focus and attention in school I had good grades my brothers were like the straight A students and they always overshadowed me my middle brother Jackie he is Harvard student straight A's civil engineer and I, and I actually asked my mum recently did you envision how we would all turn out to be and she said no she said that my oldest brother is like he should have been a doctor and then you should have been a lawyer. And then my middle brother, she was like, he's doing exactly what he's doing, so he's fine. So it's like, oh, thanks. So it's like, well, I think it's like they, don't, they still don't really understand what I do. They still think, in terms of journalism, they think it's either a, a paparazzi or, like, or, yeah, that's it. They don't really understand how journalism works. They're like, they call me Gabozaidoi, which is paparazzi. So they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Gabozaidoi. I'm like, no, no, that's not me. That's not what I do. I think I've got just time for maybe one or two more. I've got two more questions. These two, yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Bernice. Oh, you're Bernice. Yeah. Hi. 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 I wave to you. Hi. So I'm sorry. I have a really difficult question, so it's okay if you guys don't have an answer. But I'm a social scientist, and the Chinese-British community is ludicrously understudied. We really, we're not, we're completely ignored as a subgroup and as a population in the UK. Also, I'm American, so compared to Chinese Americans, like even more understudied. Is there anything you guys want to know about our community that social scientists should look more into? Yeah, I know. It's such a hard question. Uh, so if you can think about it, you can get back to me if you want. Oh, you step in. You, 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 you I honestly don't know. I'm just trying to think. <laughs> it, I, is, it is a hard question. I think for me, if, if I could think of one thing psychologically, I want to know, because I feel I've got childhood trauma over my experiences working in a takeaway. And I've, I don't see a therapist about it. I've never, I have thought about seeing a therapist about it, but I just don't know where to start. It's, it's, it's just quite, for me, it's quite an overwhelming feeling or like, like to start that process. I do feel I have communication issues. You won't believe it because I have a podcast, but I feel like I have a communication issues in, in terms of dealing or confronting with people because I've just been 
brought up to like mortal sound like don't say anything so I don't know sometimes I feel like I struggle to tell people how I really feel especially my parents and I think there's a cultural barrier a language barrier I read a piece recently in the New Yorker which was about the second language retribution which is basically how it's just like the language barrier which I'd be like interested to know and different families because there's a lot of other Chinese families and cousins that who I grew up with who don't speak any Chinese and I wanted to know like the dynamics of that in a family and because they grew up in more of a westernized kind of setting I would say they're all like how that affects relationships I think that would be quite interesting to know because I feel like with me I was quite privileged and quite lucky that my parents were very very forceful in being Chinese to me and my when I grew up we only watched like TVB Chinese cartoons my parents spoke Chinese to me I would always go back to Hong Kong every other year and I still have family there and so I always try to keep up to try to talk Chinese as much as I can and have that kind of grasp and learning of Chinese whereas I feel like some people that don't have that exposure I'd be interested to know and how yeah how that kind of affects their relationship are they still like close and do they lose out on a lot and like do they wish that they learn more Cantonese like I wished I kind of kept up going to Chinese school a lot more and and does that make them feel a bit like less Chinese in a way because they don't have that connection to their mother tongue and native tongue I think I'd be interested to know like the dynamics I'd like to know more about the psychological impact mm-hmm. of being in an immigrant family, especially on the male side. I don't know why, over the past few years, the more people I speak to about their fathers and how, I don't know, some, like using words like withdrawn, and especially when they're retired, when they don't know what to do with their lives, and how that's impacted on them. Because I'm pretty sure that's quite a big issue which isn't spoken about in any immigrant community. I feel like there's a lot more pressure on males in the Chinese family, especially firstborn Chinese sons, because they have so much pressure on to do well, to deliver. And I feel like with Chinese men, there's, I feel like there's more stories and topics about Chinese women rather than Chinese men in that sense where there's not that many stories to me like every essay that I read is always coming from like a female perspective or any like takeaway upbringing or anything I feel like there's not that many like Chinese like or East and Southeast Asian men I I don't know I I just find men especially Asian men are like they just find it far harder Mm. to open up thank you Bernice for your question nice to meet you as well okay last question hi my name is Jackie Lam so I had a question because my parents they sold their takeaway quite a while back and so they're like fully retired now and I feel like in their retirement I've kind of gotten to know them as people a little bit better and there are times where I feel very sort of strangely like human emotions like I feel very happy for them feel sad for them feel proud of them and all this stuff and especially talking about parents that we've been talking about how we've been trying to make our parents proud and stuff so I want to ask flipping it the other way around Apart from the sacrifices our parents have had to make, what are you proud of of your parents the most? If, yeah. Oh, you're going to make us cry. I'm not going to go first. (laughs) I need to think about this. Go on, Angela. Just, like, showing up, even though they'll say, they'll never say, like, I love you properly. They, They have now started to. They started to show more emotion and they start to hug 
which is very rare. Hey. Yeah, I started hugging. My mum pats my head now. It's like, it's really sweet. It's like, like a dog. She's like, oh. But like, she'll show up at events. Like I launched a book and then I also did the exhibition and they all travel all the way. I'm just like really proud of them just trying life if that makes sense obviously they had to do a lot of it like a lot of sacrifices coming over to this country with not not much and then just following wherever there was work wherever there was like living accommodation they just followed they worked at like various restaurants and stuff but just everything that they did was for us and i'm just really proud of them for like actually just giving it a go and doing it themselves like my mum was very I feel like my mum was a lot more proactive than my dad. My mum would, she'd always try to make friends. Like, she'd always be the one on front of the counter talking to people. She actually made an effort. She learned English, was tried to, but she speaks takeaway English. So she'd, like, always just chat to customers. Like, she makes a lot of friends. And she loves, like, going to the sauna, like, sort of exercising. Like, she does a lot, and it's really sweet. And they're, like, really enjoying their time. And she loves gardening. And I'm just really proud of them for everything they've achieved. And they're still working today. They're still, like, very active. And, yeah, I think that's where I'm proud of them. I think my parents can be can be quite fierce and, and protective over their kids. And I think that's rubbed off on me, especially with my daughter and with my staff. I treat my staff like with family. I remember the amount of fights my dad would get in. He's not a huge guy. He's... Five foot, five foot six, or whatever, extremely fierce, and not would never back down from a fight because he's protecting a business, he's protecting his family. I remember my mum telling me about when I was like one years old. The same people came into into the restaurant, and normally that means that they're going to be there's going to be a fight involved, or there's going to be there's going to be trouble. And my dad anticipated it, picked up an ashtray, and smacked like it's one of those heavy like glass ashtrays smacked him over the head there's only one customer in the restaurant and he said he didn't see he didn't see anything that happened and my mum saw the blood on the floor and it started to congeal and she threw up next to the pool of blood it's incidents like that my dad whatever the situation has my back if I'm in the wrong he'll have my back and yeah that's just that kind of pride mentality where I hope that's rubbed off on me I hope if my daughter ever gets in trouble I've always got her back so yeah I, I, I take that away from my parents oh my story's going to sound so shit now compared to yours <laughs> I think with me I'm quite proud of so my dad's not here anymore so it's just my mum so I'm really proud that my mum has started to become a little bit more independent so when we had the takeaway my dad used to do everything like all the bills calling up doctor's appointments for us all but my mum oh bless it it's just a small thing like she started like like calling the doctors making her own appointments going to the optician like doing it so just picking up the phone speaking English that's something which I'm like which I'm really proud of I introduced her to an app called Vinted where you can buy second hand clothes she is addicted to it she's like scrolling scrolling bargaining there's a section that says make an offer so for something that's three pounds she's replying back to them two pounds like and it's like but sometimes she would need my help if somebody replies back to her and Vinted so then I've got to like go back, but I'm quite proud of her. She's trying to settle more into the British culture. She's been here for like, what, like 45 years or so. I'm really proud of her that she's starting to have that independence. Because I think when my mum 
and dad first moved to the UK, I think my dad, he did his best to integrate amongst the, the kind of British culture. But my mum, she had a really tough time that she just didn't really want to integrate because there's a she just there's a lot of racism back then but i'm quite proud of her that she's that she's that's massive i don't know why you're saying it's shit that's like <laughs> well, such no, a I know. yeah but i am i'm still her it help desk though don't yeah. get me wrong <laughs> okay we're gonna do the raffle we're gonna do the raffle do we have the box yeah Hey guys, it's future Georgia here. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you listen to us all (laughs) pulling out the raffle winners. Just wanted to give a a really amazing shout out to all the incredible donors who have donated a prize for the raffle and also to the winners as well. So first of all, we have a signed figure donated by Benedict Wong, won by Ronnie Lee. Two tickets to Szechuan Fry's press launch, won by Steph Lau. Signed takeaway book and some goodies by Angela Hoy, won by Katie Lau. Five winners who have each won a Katie Loan signed photograph. Congratulations to Karina Evans, Melissa Rowland, Diana Von R, Bernice Quang and Stella Ma. A t-shirt and tote bag by Georgina Loan, aka Chopstick and Poke, won by Freya. A candle by Caring Touch won by Wei Nam, Little Means Goodies, won by Michael Gill, Kupachar Drinks and a Tote Bag, won by Lillian and Lily Wang, Seaweed Vouchers, won by Louise Hager, Maureen Wan and Michelle LW. And last but not least, Goodies from Sketchy Car, won by KP, Louise Hager. And there's also another winner that had won some Sketchy Car goodies as well, but I'm so, 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 so sorry that I didn't actually write down your name. But congratulations to all the prize winners. Thank you so much to everyone who's donated to the raffle prize. And thank you again to all the amazing donors. So everyone, that's now coming to the end of the show. I've gone a bit over time. Just want to say thank you to my guests, John, Lee and Angela. Thank you so much. Thank you to my sound engineer, Ewan Smith. Thanks to the amazing London Chinese Community Centre. To Beverly, to Beverly and all the volunteers, all the workers. Thank you so much to all the raffle donors, Benny Wong, Katie Leung, Siwoo, Kupa Cha, Dumpling Shack Group, Angela Hoy, Georgina Leung, Caring Touch, Little Moons and Sketchy Car. Honestly, guys, this has been so amazing. I'm so, so overwhelmed that you guys all bought a ticket to my show. This is so weird. And thank you so much and I hope you get home safe and sound. Yay! Thank you so much! <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,